So, so welcome. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, everybody online. So glad to have you guys here. Um, I, my name's Chris. I'm a lead pastor here at Table Life Church. If it's your first time with us, we're just especially glad that you've chosen to worship with us. And if you're here in person, it's kind of weird. We have like a, like a top-heavy like group over here, and it's like light on this side. I don't know how that happened, right? It's kind of kind of funny. So, uh, well, welcome everybody, and I hope that you're staying warm in the midst of the uh, winter time that we are facing right now. It's going to be February in a couple of days. Spring is on its way. Well, this morning, this morning, I want to start off with some math. Yay! Who likes math? Be loud and proud. Yeah, there we go. Okay, I was afraid there was going to be like two hands up. Well, for those of you that don't, just stick with me. Well, there's something in math, actually, specifically geometry, if you remember back to your geometry days, or maybe some of you guys who are in, in school, high school, you are in geometry right now, you probably correct me on this, but there's something in geometry that is called an inflection point. Inflection point. An inflection point is defined as this. And there's room in your notes in your little pamphlet there that you can follow along. Inflection point is this. Ready? You can jot this down. A point on a continuous differential plane curve where the curve crosses its own tangent. You got that? Doesn't that make total sense? Everybody's like, right? You know what I'm talking about. Well, of course you don't. So, um, so look, at the, look at the picture. The picture speaks a thousand words, right? Well, what do you notice about an inflection point? What do you notice? Why is it called that, right? Besides all those big words and kind of weird definition there. Well, you notice that the direction and the momentum of a curve shifts at that point and goes in a new direction. It goes from being one slope to changing slope, going up or going down. It's where the entire trajectory of a curve changes. And so you may ask, well, why is Pastor Chris starting out with this math? I didn't think I was getting into this today. Well, I think inflection points don't just happen in math. I think they happen in life. They happen in life. It's kind of like life flows along for a while, and then there, there's these times, these, these moments that have the capacity to change the trajectory of our story. And, and maybe for you, you can recall a couple of these. Maybe it was a time you met somebody, changed things. Maybe it was a time when you, you accepted an offer to a specific job or entered a, a career or maybe, maybe decided to go to, to a certain school. Maybe it was when you moved location to a new neighborhood or a new town or a new state. It was a time, a decision that changed everything, that you wouldn't be where you are today. And I think, I think God gives us these moments, these moments from time to time. And what we do with these moments, these moments that come our way, what we do really matters. It changes everything or has the capacity to change everything. So today we're continuing our series, Start Dreaming Again. And we've been talking about how to live out God-given dreams, these big dreams that God has for each individual uh, as individually, but also collectively as a church, as a people of God, and how God gives these dreams for us, for our lives, and as a people. And so in this series, we've been following the story of a guy named what? 
those of you who've been with us, Joseph, Joseph, he's a faithful dreamer in the Old Testament scriptures, several thousands of years before Jesus. And last week, we, uh, as we were kind of unpacking his story, and you can listen to previous messages about this and read it in, uh, towards the end of Genesis as well. Um, but last week, we talked about the importance of resiliency, right? Resiliency. That Joseph, while he had this amazing dream that God had given him as a, as a young adult, as a, as a youth, and made his brothers really angry. God gave him that dream, but then he encounters a whole bunch of these ups and downs and these really tragic circumstances, one after the other. But despite all that, hope made all the difference for him. Hope made all the difference. Hope, we said last week, does not disappoint. And our lives, our lives have those hills and valleys too. Sometimes you feel like, you know, get them while they're down. It's like one thing after another hits you. And, but that being said, there are also moments that I believe God opens up an opportunity. An opportunity for us to make a decision that can really change the trajectory of our life. What we do in those moments and how we respond matters. And today we're going to look at one of those moments in Joseph's life. That when he is given a decision... And so we're going to see what he did and how that has the potential to transform the trajectory of a dream, what's been a dream, from being in someone's head and someone's heart to actually happening, to actually being fulfilled. So, so just a little bit of the backstory. And uh, 17 to 30, Joseph, his life is really full of ups and downs so much. He set, has setbacks, adversity. Uh, he's really, really getting further and further from fulfilling his dream. Because things keep happening to him. He, he gets, gets stuck in prison at some point, and, and he's forgotten about by a guy that he makes a promise to because he's gonna, he helps him, ful, or, um, helps him unpack a dream that he's been having. Well, today we get to a part of the story that changes the entire trajectory of his story. And it's two years after he's forgotten about, and he still is in prison. Can you imagine being in prison an additional two years because a buddy forgot to like forgot about you? you know, it's like terrible, right? Like who does that? God really like in that? But yet we see that happens to Joseph. But one day, one day something happens. Pharaoh, Pharaoh enters the scene. Pharaoh has a dream. I don't even correct that. It's two dreams. He has two dreams. You can follow along in your, in your notes. The scriptures are also printed there. Um, he has two dreams, and they're really, really weird dreams. Have you ever had a really weird dream? Maybe like last night, yeah? Like, you're just like, what was that, right? Did I have a bad burrito over at Nito? Like, what was going on? Well, there's really some interesting dreams that Pharaoh has, and let me tell you what they were. I'm not going to go through this to read this. But his first dream... His first dream, there's cows, right? Cows. We all dream of cows. Seven healthy cows come out of a river, and then there's seven scrawny cows that kind of follow them and chase them. And what do the scrawny cows do to the healthy cows? They eat them, right? That's normal. Like, okay. So for, that's dream number one. Then he goes back to sleep, and then he has a second dream. And it had the cows don't come back in it, but instead, it's a parallel dream. There's seven heads of grain, and there are seven scrawny heads of grain that come up and gobble up the seven healthy uh, heads of grain. Talk about weird, right? 
Yeah, you're like, what was this guy watching before he went to sleep, right? What was he eating? I don't know. But Pharaoh woke up and he was disturbed. I don't know. Maybe you would be too. He was super disturbed and he wasn't about to dismiss it. Dismiss it as something that, yeah, maybe he had ate or seen. But instead, he calls together all the experts, all the people that should know what this stuff meant. He wants it to be interpreted. But the experts have absolutely no idea. Isn't that the case a lot, right? People who think you're experts, like, they have no clue, right? Well, anyway, he, they have no clue about what's going on, and so he's gathered with them and trying to discuss, like, what should I do? This really impacted me. Like, I don't know. It really makes me feel weird. But suddenly, suddenly there's a guy, Pharaoh's wine steward, who remembers this young man who he happened to meet in prison. His name was Joseph. Joseph. Well, the next things you know, the next thing you know, the guards pull Joseph out of prison. Imagine, he's pretty surprised at this point. They pull him out of prison, they give him a shower, they clean him up, they put some night clothes on him, and then they push him in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh invites Joseph to interpret his dreams. Suddenly, imagine this, suddenly Joseph is in front of the most powerful person at the time. He's in front of the most powerful person. And Pharaoh says this in chapter 41, sorry, in verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. No one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Interesting twist there, isn't it? He points to God about this gift that he's been given of dream interpretation. Well, in the story, Pharaoh goes on to explain the dream. Number one, about the, what, moo, cows, right? And then number two, about the, what, the grain. And he goes on and shares this with Joseph. And then Joseph's response, very interesting. Verse 20, starting in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one in the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. Woohoo, right? But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows, it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. So Joseph interprets the dream. He interpreted the dream. But we also note, though, that at this time, especially this time in history, Joseph probably would have done well at that point to keep his mouth shut. To kind of, he was asked one thing, right? You do what you're asked, and then what do you do? You shut up. You stop talking, especially in front of somebody that has the power to give you life or death. It's risky to say anything more than what you're asked. He should have thanked 
them at that point shut up and said, thank you for the shower, right guys? Thank you for giving me some nice clothes. And then he should have gone on his way and headed out the door. But the story says that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Joseph does more. He does more than interpret the dreams. He sees this as his chance, as an opportunity. In verse 33, tells us, and now, he, Joseph continues, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And then he goes on even more to give Pharaoh instructions about what should be done. Like, who does that? Who has the guts to say this is what you should do? Imagine, everybody around there is probably stunned at this point. Like, who talks to like, you just don't do this. This guy is crazy. They're probably all really quiet at this point. But in the midst of the silence and the awkwardness, Pharaoh speaks. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. Imagine that, right? So Pharaoh, get this, Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You, you shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Like, whoa, right? Suddenly, Joseph becomes the prince of the empire. Pharaoh chooses Joseph to fulfill this role, and the story tells it, of course, in a very dramatic way, lots of suspense here. But think of the significance of this moment. Think of the significance. In one moment, the trajectory changes. This is the inflection point. The inflection point in the story. Joseph begins his day in prison, in prison with the rats, and it's not a good circumstance. He's been doing this for a number of years now. And then, at the end of the day, he's left in charge of Egypt. Like, that happens normally, right? It's a normal thing. That's the inflection point. We need to pay attention to this. Because I think when it, when it comes to our dreams, the, the God-given dreams that God's placed on our heart, God opens up an opportunity for us to step in the dream and to begin living it. We might say Joseph was lucky. We might say he was lucky, he was in the right place, the right time. But when I read this, I don't know about you, but I don't see an accident here. I don't see an accident. I see Joseph. If we back up even further in the story, he had been in charge of a man named Potiphar's affairs, who was a ruling official. He had experiences. He had learned things. He had abilities to lead over time, even in the prison. He had been bumped up in position, if that's even possible. None of this was by accident. But what's most significant is that Joseph was able to see and to seize this opportunity. See and seize. I, I think it's, this is important for us because God will open up opportunities in life, but they have to be first seen and they have to be seized. Well, what do I mean by this? So let's take some time to unpack this. First, see. See means pay attention. We have to pay attention. Doesn't life get like so crazy busy, you just go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next? If God were actually doing something and leading somewhere, would you think you would even have time to see it? 
Or our lives just so packed and full of, full of information and places to be and things to do that we don't have time to pay attention to what he might be speaking to us or the opportunity he might be presenting to us. In the story, we see that God's hand is all over what's happening to Joseph. When Joseph visits Pharaoh, I see that, that Joseph, at this point, I think he begins to connect the dots. He's had enough time in prison to think about things, but he begins to connect the dots of his story about how his brothers had sold him into to this, this traveling caravan and sold into slavery and ended up in, of all places, Egypt. And then he's, he's promoted and he's put in charge of these household affairs and then this thing happens to him where this woman accuses him of, of going after her and he's put in prison for that. And, but all these things, he's seeing them, how they line up. You know what I think this is like? It's like Wordle. Y'all know what Wordle is? Well, if you don't know, it's a game, not, it's a, not an app, so if you just have access to online, you can play it. It's on the interwebs, on the internet, and it's a game that has kind of like, I don't know, been, become popular in the last couple weeks that they play one word a day. Basically, there's a word that you get six, a five-letter word that you get six tries to guess. And so you start off by just guessing a random five-letter word, and people have all these strategies and things about what you should guess and that kind of thing. And the, the program uh, lets you know which words are in the word but not in the right space and which, word, which letters are in the word and in the right space. The green ones are in the right space, the yellow ones are in the word but not in the right space. And then you have six tries to kind of guess it, and this is a kind of example of that, somebody that got this in four tries. This is not the wordle of the day, by the way, so no cheating going on here. But after you finish playing a round, they only do one round each day, usually you can look back at your guesses and be like, oh, right? Has that ever hit you like you're playing a game? Oh, I should have seen that, right? Oh, I put, put this one in there if I just would have moved that, or oh, I chose this guess instead of that one. It's kind of like, you know, connecting the dots. But you only know it when you're at the end of it. So I think it's kind of like for Joseph, that he sees, looking back, he sees where he started, you know, the first guess, and then where he's now, and he sees the kind of God's fingerprints on how he's learned everything. How God maybe didn't cause him to be in prison, but how God used that time to cultivate something in him, prepare him. See, this is an opportunity for the story to begin to make sense. And it's also an opportunity for the dream itself to come into action, to come in fruition. See, God had been working, but suddenly he was able to see it. He took time to see it, this opportunity to come in front of Pharaoh and to propose this challenge to him. It kind of reminds me of Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. She's this, the story of the, the bus boycott, how it started with her, how she was on a bus one day and sitting towards the front of the bus, and at that time, um, white people took priority, and if you were a black person, you had to go get up and take a, a seat at the back of the bus. Well, she refused to. She refused to, and it started this, this whole uprising in civil rights. But it, it's interesting, if you look at Rose's story, she didn't do this on a whim by any means. And actually, it's interesting, looking at her history, 1943, she began her involvement in the NAACP. 
She also began to, get this, she took classes. She took classes on nonviolence and civil rights. She began to get involved. She listened to talks. And earlier that year, in 1955, she, she took a, a course in her community about what to do in this kind of circumstance. And that day, in December 1955, it wasn't an accident she was on that bus at that time. She saw an opportunity to live out something that she'd only heard about and maybe thought about and others had told her about. It was a chance for her to do something, but she saw that opportunity. Instead of just getting up like the rest of the people and moving to the back of the bus, she saw that as a chance to do something about the dream, a dream that Dr. Martin Luther King would then begin explaining and expounding upon in the civil rights movement. And I'm sharing this, though, because I think God opens up opportunities for us, for things to come together, for us to begin to do something about the dreams that he's laid on our hearts, things that we've been created to do, how we've even as a church been uniquely positioned. But we have to see them. We have to see them. That's a great question to ask. Like, what do, I, what do I see around me? Like, what's going on? Who am I connected with? How have I been uniquely conditioned? How am I wired? How are we put together? Because maybe right now, maybe right now you're overlooking an opportunity for, that God has given you for a change. You have to see it. You have to see it. And have margin in your life enough to be able to see it. But we can't just see it. We have to seize it. We have to seize it. That's the second important piece. Uh, there's a quote by um, actually one of the people that made McDonald's so successful as a franchise. Um, and um, his name is Ray Kroc um, from McDonald's Corporation. This is something he said years ago. He said the two most important requirements for major success are first, being in the right place at the right time, and second, doing something about it. It's not enough to just see it. At some point, we have to do something about it. You know, maybe for you, maybe it's a, a dream that you have, a dream of health. Maybe you want to get healthy. Maybe you've been told by your doctor you need to get healthy. It's not just enough to see the need, right? You have to do something about it. You have to maybe begin walking or eating different. Or maybe you have a dream of, of starting or being involved in a certain ministry. You know, maybe... Maybe you, it, thinking about it is cool and all, but it begins having conversations about what that would look like. Begin making those connections and working at it. Maybe you have a dream of kicking a habit or someone else in your family who's going through uh, a, an addiction. Maybe for you, it's taking that step and saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to attend a recovery meeting. Scary, I know, but hey, I'm going to go with my family member. I'm going to go with my friend. See, Joseph didn't just see an opportunity. He actually took a risk to do something, to do something. And, and in our time, we don't really realize how risky this was. If you read in the Old Testament scriptures, you kind of see the, the, this repeated over and over again. Um, in ancient protocol, uh, if you interrupted or talked more than you should to like a king or a queen at the time, um, or if you initiated, if you initiated a conversation or a question, the king at that time could put you to death. Seen in the book of Esther, it's seen here. Like, so there was a lot of fear involved. Nobody really wanted to speak out of place. You could get death penalty 
for asking a question. Isn't that, aren't we glad that we don't do that anymore? Like we have to welcome questions, especially in, in church. You'd only answer questions at the time. You wouldn't school Pharaoh. <laughs> but Joseph, Joseph should have been concerned about his own safety and well-being. But he didn't show it. Instead, he took a chance. He took a chance, put his own life at risk by courageously stepping out and speaking up. He seized an opportunity. So I want to ask you, what opportunities do you have to seize? To, to do something about, maybe you, you see a need, there's, a, there's something, that a next step for you. Um, recently, there was a woman named uh, Dolores Spencer. And get this, it's a great story. Dolores is, 88, is 89 years old, just turned 89 years old. She's a retired math teacher. She's a retired math teacher, and she did some tutoring over the last years. And then when the pandemic hit, she saw and heard of so many kids that were struggling in school, and especially when everything went to virtual learning and things were going crazy. And she looked at her, I, don't, I think it was like, like 40, 50 years of like math, teaching math like ability, and thousands of students that she had had and mentored. And she said, well, what can I do? Well, she was at the time at home, and she decided to teach herself how to get on YouTube and how to go on Facebook. And she decided to begin filming and doing Facebook Live videos, started her own YouTube channel with help. And, and this went international. Thousands of children got to chime in and ask her questions and learn some math skills that they were struggling with. She saw this need and she said, you know what, I'm gonna try something, see if it works. You know, I want to help. I want to step into this. But she had been uniquely conditioned with this years and years of experience in teaching children. But she stepped out. Very easily, it could have remained an idea in her head. But because of that, her teaching went viral and, and changed the lives of so many kids. Well, here's what I believe about each of you. I believe that God is at work. I believe that God is at work in your life and God will strengthen you, guide you. He'll walk beside you. He'll help you maintain hope in the face of adversity. But at some point when it comes to a dream, you have to do something about it. You have to do something about it. God is going to require something of you to take a step. And if it feels risky, if it feels scary, it's probably because you're doing the right thing. There's times in our lives that we're faced with a moment that can become an inflection point. That we seize the opportunity that God has given us. Courage to speak up when we can speak up. Courage to take a risky step. To, to make a change in a relationship in life. Maybe it's even asking for forgiveness. We're going to talk about that next week. Forgiveness. Taking the courage to admit that you can't do it alone, even though you've been struggling and trying to. An act of courage to start something or try something new. To, to enter into maybe a, a new hobby or a new group of friends. See, sometimes I think we're so afraid of failure that it paralyzes us from doing anything at all. And I want to let you know, this is a kind of side note here. Here at this church, we're going to be celebrating failure and not just like, 
you know, we like, we like to fail. But if somebody tries something and it doesn't work, we're going to celebrate that. I think too often in our culture, in our society, um, people are so afraid of doing something because if they fail, then they're going to be like dismissed or, you know, kicked out of the church or whatever they're going to do. We're going to celebrate that because that means that you tried. That means that we tried. And that's, I think, a spirit of, that, that enables us to, to take those steps, and it's encouraging to others. See, for many of us, it's about having the courage to stick with something. That's courage to leave something when everything inside you is comfortable and wants to stay where you are. But if we don't seize it, you'll never know. You'll never know. It takes courage to change the trajectory, but seizing the opportunity requires us to do something so that dreams don't stay in our head and our heart, but rather are lived out. And that was true for Joseph, and I believe it can be true for us. So wrap all things up here. I think an inflection point awaits. You just have to see it and seize it. One of these is probably harder for you than the other, to either see or seize, or maybe both. But let me close with this, and it's something I wanted you to think about. What made this chance an opportunity, an inflection point for Joseph, is that he saw it, and he seized it. And God has given us so much. He's gotten us and you through so much. He's gotten you where you are. He stood alongside you as you suffered. He stood alongside you as, as you've learned and grown and loved you when you were really, really hard to love. But I think God intervenes to create opportunities. You can't just stand and wait forever, but if you're never willing to do something, it will always just remain an abstract principle. But if you're willing to step into it, it may change the trajectory of your story. And when those moments come, remember, you have to look for them and seize them. Because the worst thing Joseph could have done that day was to exit to walk away but because he didn't it changed his story and the same thing happened thousands of years later of the disciples who were invited to follow Jesus a decision that they would look back on that changed the course of their lives it's true for Joseph it's true for the disciples and the same can be true for us